You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. This week, on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at two iconic Mediterranean cheeses, feta cheese and halloumi. We talked to Panos Monoalidis, the founder of Odyssey, who import Greek foodstuffs, about feta, its history, its making, its eating. And we also talked to British Cypriot cheesemaker Anthony Hurd of Kupros Dairy about halloumi and anglum, his own carefully crafted cheese inspired by the halloumi he knew from Cyprus. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. On a lovely sunny morning, it seems very appropriate to be talking to Panos Manuelides of Odyssey, who import a whole range of Greek foods. And we're talking about feta this morning. Good morning, Panos. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. I I wanted to ask you, Panos, about feta. Perhaps we'd talk first about feta's role in Greek cuisine. It seems it has a long history and presumably been made in Greece. It has a long history. So the uh, the first reference of a cheese that the description of it may be may resemble feta or may have been the predecessor of feta is in Homer's Odyssey. Mm. So it is uh, the cycle of Polyphemus is making a cheese with which resembles feta, the description we have of it, and he's carrying milk in his. In the in the stomachs of the animals, it is said that this is how cheese was invented in the first place. Yes. So cheese is an accidental product. People were carrying water in the stomachs of the animals, and when they put milk in, the rennet ma- made it curdle. Because the rennet, how, yes, we yes. just explained the rennet is in the stomach of the animals because that's what makes milk solid for a mammal to be able to absorb the goodness from it. So it's a very plausible Correct. thought, isn't it? That's how cheese making started. Yeah, Correct. I mean the Odyssey. That's pretty um, venerable and very nice. Given your company's called Odyssey Panos. So <laughs> yes, it's spelled it's a nice in a different connection. way. <laughs> yes, our our company is spelled in a different way, and there's yes. a reason for that. It's because our first first business venture was fish, and so right. we spelled it. It's S E A in the end. But yes. Uh, yes, it sounds the same, definitely. Um, and then, uh, so we have feta cheese is first mentioned in the Byzantine years. Uh-huh. Uh, we under the name called prosphatos, which means recent or fresh in an exact translation. Right. Um, and but that was the method of making it was described by an Italian traveler called Pietro Casola, in who who saw it being made in Crete, uh, in the town of Heraklion, or near the town of what today is called Heraklion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time 
the cheese was called feta was in the 17th century. Uh, the Greeks started using the name feta, but it comes from an Italian word, fete, which is either because it is cut in slices to put in brine or in barrels or wherever it's put, or because you slice it. Uh, yes, because it means slicing. In a, in a slice to eat, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it is a, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is, most people refer to it as a brine cheese because the right. majority of it uh, matures in brine, but barrel-aged feta mm-hmm. does not really mature in brine. Well, strictly speaking, it does mature in, in its own brine. So it's the, the juices and the way that it releases while it is maturing uh-huh. is the brine in which it matures. So feta is, is legally protected. It has a protected designation of origin. Since 2002, right. it has been protected. You can only call feta cheese produced with sheep's milk and up to 30% goat's milk right. in certain areas in Greece. That is the definition of it. And you've been... Tell me your memories of eating feta. I mean, was it, is it a cheese that was eaten widely in Greece? I mean, I think, you know, for us, it's so sort of synonymous with <clears throat> with Greek holidays, with Greek restaurants in Britain. Um, is it, does it play a very important part in, in Greek households? Yes, it does. So 70% of the cheese consumed in Greece is feta. Ah, right. So it, and it is not just consumed as, you know, a cheese that you eat for breakfast or you put in your Greek salad. And of course, the Greek salad is a very important part of that because, you know, it makes it a very strong brand. Because if you go to the, you know, to the most southern point of Argentina and you say uh, Greek salad, people will come up with the word feta. Amazing. Because it's a, it's an it's an ingredient uh, that goes in the Greek salad. It's the we main ingredient. Describe just in case someone doesn't know what 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 is a Greek salad? What 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 would go in it? What are the elements? Uh, mainly tomatoes, cucumbers, olives, and feta. These are the main the important ones. Onions, yeah. and then you mm-hmm. start. You know, in some areas they put capers. In some uh-huh. areas like Crete, they don't put so much. They do use feta, but they use mostly uh, Cretan. Uh, Mizithra, which is, it's more like a cream cheese. Right. So so there are variations when you go from, in some people, in some places they use Kalamata olives, in some places they use green olives. It depends on yes. what they have. Yeah, sure. Um, yes. And it's a lovely combination, isn't it? I am just sort of, I go to Greece often on holidays and I'm, I can, in my eye, I can see, you know, I'm sitting under a tree in a garden with beautiful bright sunlight and looking at this lovely bowl and, and the feta cheese, the whiteness of the cheese mm. just sort of shines out at you. Often in a big slab, it depends, doesn't it? Yes. Some people just have it in one big piece and other people break it in. And as you say, every yes. place would have it, do it slightly differently, which is sort of part of the uh, fun of it, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And you, you know, some people put it in cubes, some people crumble it and then you add oregano always on top uh, in, in a Greek salad. Mm. And sometimes then, but there are some people who do not like feta. Uh, they they just can't even smell it. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. and so when you go to a Greek restaurant, some people may say, oh, I, can you please put feta on the side? Gosh. So they bring you the salad and then they have yeah. a plate on the side with a slice of feta. Right. And uh, served with olive oil and oregano. Oh. Uh, and that is also very typical. Yes. Um, and feta is uh, often used in cooking, isn't it? Because again, it gives it's because it is salty cheese. It gives so that salty flavour, doesn't it, to, to dishes? It is, it is used in cooking. So you have some dishes like tiropita and spanakopita, which mm-hmm. is basically how can I describe this? This is a Greek pizza. It's right. basically a piece of dough 
which is in the form of phyllo pastry with something yeah. in it or on yeah. it. And so you either have it with cheese, the most the most well-known is cheese, which is made with feta and mizithra. And right. the, the second most uh, known in Greece, but ba- certainly the most uh, known worldwide is panacopita, yeah. which is spinach and feta. Lovely. But feta is the cheese that is eaten with a family of dishes called lathera. So lathera is, it means braised in extra virgin olive oil. Oh. And we have a family of these dishes in Greece, which are typical of the, they are at the center of the Mediterranean diet, mm-hmm. and they are all vegan. And it's basically mixtures of vegetables and herbs and onions braised slowly with extra virgin olive oil, and sometimes you add tomatoes, sometimes you don't. And and then when you serve them, you usually eat them the second day, so, so they're eaten ambient, and uh-huh. they are better eaten a day after they are prepared. Yeah. And you always serve them with feta, always. Oh, how interesting. So you can't serve something like that without feta. It is, that's how it's done. So it's very so that fundamental. Is, yeah. That is fundamental. I would say that's fundamental. But yeah. look, feta is, you know, it, it should be firm, but and you can slice it, but it may crumble, mm-hmm. and it should have a creamy mouthfeel. Right. So it, it should be creamy. A good feta should be creamy. Yeah. It, and, and it's tangy, and sometimes it's sharp. Some versions are sharper than others. It depends on the culture that each manufacturer uses. <clears throat> but it is packed in nutrients, so particularly uh, B vitamins, phosphorus, and calcium. So good for your bones. Yeah, uh, and you know it, it is a very healthy cheese. It is also it has fewer calories than hard cheeses. So, for example, an ounce of parmesan has 110 calories. An ounce of feta has only 74. Bargain. <laughs> now, Panos, <laughs> right. tell me. So, obviously, because you know, essentially, because you're importing, uh, you know, have you have you got a feta cheese producer that you that you work with? I have. A main producer that I work with, Rusas. Rusas are from the Saracatsani tribe of Greeks. So they are they are an ancient tribe. They are nomadic, or they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they used to live in the valley in the winter and on the mountains in the summer and travel with their flocks. They So the Rusas are Saracatsani third generation feta makers. Right. I like to work with people who do not cut corners in order to save money. Yeah. So there is, for example, a dry salting process in feta. It is a very important process because it helps develop some of the aromas that the mm-hmm. cheese should have and the texture, the correct texture. That is, takes, it's an extra day or two. Right. Many people skip it and they yeah. put it st- straight to brine. And we don't like that because we really want, for us, it's very important. Taste comes first. It's paramount. If it doesn't taste good, I don't care if it's cheap. It has to taste the way it should taste, the way it ought to be. So they make, they they, in this stage then, basically. So so I I work with Rusas on that. There are other uh, good brands in Greece. The most well-known is Dodoni, of course, which has been uh, around for ages. And it's very popular, very strong in, in Greece. Mevgal is another one in the north of Greece, has been around for a long time. So we work with, a, I work with a few 
I was going to ask you, panels, because I, again, I'm so interested. Because what year did you set up Odyssey to start? I mean, I know you, I know you started with Fish initially, but then you yes. moved on. I set it up in 1991, on the right. 10th of January 1991. Okay, congratulations. So 30 <laughs> years, wow. Yeah. I, was, I was really interested, actually, partly if you'd seen an interest in Feta, because you're so well placed to see the change. You know, of attitudes, which is something I've I've seen because I've been writing. I think my my first book actually came out in 1991, so a very similar um, period of time. And and I've seen a lot of you know massive changes in attitudes and, and availability of ingredients actually as well. You know, what was there sort of resistance to the idea of feta initially, or people do people not know it, and now do people know it better? Uh, people do know it better. It is so unfortunately you see in the market very cheap uh, product, which doesn't make sense, and it really annoys me. Because when you see feta at 85p on the shelf, yeah, this, not, this does not even cover the cost of milk. Right, yeah. Okay, gotcha. so, yeah. Uh, you know, I really, I really don't like that. I, what we are trying to do is we are trying to sell the authentic product. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is made the way it ought to be, as I told you before. Yes, sales are increasing uh, at a very fast rate. Right. So we have a brand which is now very well known. Um, uh, in Feta, we have a, a very good cheese. We have a very loyal clientele. And it's, it is growing all the time. But we specialize. Our strength is the, the five most important Greek products for us, which is, I should put fish in that, but we don't deal in fish anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it is... Olive oil, olives, feta, yogurt, and honey. Right. That is what I would say are the five. That's uh, a lovely combination, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you know, very yeah. fundamental foods with with incredible history, you know, along. If you think of olives in Greek culture and olive oil and honey, yeah. In fact, we were discussing honey and cheese as a as a pairing because we did a programme about what goes with cheese. And, and um, feta yeah, pairs very well with honey. Yes, yes, I can imagine. And in fact, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you've also been talking to Utama Shrivolich of Honey & Co. And he's got this wonderful feta cheesecake that's flavoured with feta and has a honey syrup over it. So a very beautiful. And you can put also feta on papillot and, ah. with, and you bake it and then you drizzle honey over it. And that is also a, a great combination. Can you tell me a little bit more about barrel-aged feta? So this is <clears throat> this is the traditional way then. Or, or, or tell me about it. What is the difference between that and feta? Okay. So what is, uh, you take uh, the milk, you pasteurize it, you add the culture, and then after that, you add the rennet. And then you empty the, this curdle, the curdled uh, product yeah. in molds, and it strains. So these molds can be either rectangular or triangular. The rectangular ones uh, strain, and after they have strained, you do the salting process, and you put them in brine. So you do the dry, dry salting process, right. uh, and then you put them in brine. Mm-hmm. And they mature in brine initially at ambient temperature and then at chill temperature. And in two months, it is it has matured sufficiently for it to be sold. Right. The triangular molds, again, go through the same process. They strain, they are dry salted, and but then they do not go in brine. After the dry salting process, they are placed in barrels in, in which are made of beach. Mm-hmm. So it's beach barrels. That you, you put the triangles inside to form a circle. So right. three triangles yeah. in, 
on the bottom, then you separate it with a piece of pressure paper, and then you put another three on top. And you right. leave no gaps. So if there's a gap in between uh, two pieces, you cut a slice and you fill the gap. Oh, so okay. you need you need a special trained person to do that. Yeah. So it's packed together in layers, it's basically. packed in together in layers right. in yeah. the barrel, and yeah. then it matures in the barrel, initially at room temperature and then at uh, chill temperature. Right. And so as, as it matures, it releases liquids. Yeah. And it matures inside these liquids. Now, we always measure it if there is, you know, if it dries too much or whatever, we take a sample, we will add a little bit of brine to help it. But right. it really matures in its own liquids. Yes. And so we, we actually take the barrels, put them on their side, and roll them. We take them for a walk ah. every few days <laughs> yeah. so that the brine circulates yeah. all around. Yeah. 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 So that is the difference. And the, the feta that matures in brine matures at a lower pH. Right. So it's slightly tanger. Uh, it has a, it's slightly more acidic than the barrel aged And of course, in the barrel aged feta, you get woody tones mm. that you don't get in the tin product. Yeah. And how would you, so the barrel aged feta, would that be enjoyed in its own right or, or would it be used in the same way as feta? In the same way as feta, but some people uh, prefer it. Some people will all only buy barrel aged. In the Greek supermarkets, they sell barrel aged feta from inside the barrel. Ah, so yeah. the supermarkets get whole barrels. Yes. They open them and then they start slicing pieces out of the barrel layer by layer. But the volume they go through is so big that in a day, they probably sell one or, one or two barrels each supermarket. Amazing. Yeah, and therefore, wonderful. they can do it. That cannot be done in the UK because in the UK, you know, the people buy 200 grams and for some yeah. people even that is a lot. And that's yeah. why we yeah. have introduced even smaller uh, portions for single people right. who would use it, but not obviously in a way a Greek would use it. In in Greece, it is, I told you, it's 70% of the cheese consumed is, it goes on everything, pasta. Yeah. Gosh, very fundamental. So, listen, that panel, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for that insight. It was really lovely to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop Enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. I'm very happy to have with me today Anthony Hurd of Cupros Dairy. And Anthony makes a really interesting, a sort of British version of halloumi, British secret version of halloumi, I suppose I should say, Anthony, called Anglum. Good morning, Anthony. Morning, Jenny. How are you? I'm good. I'm just really happy to see the sunshine. And actually talking about, you know, uh, you know, halloumi and Cyprus on a sunny day seems really appropriate, I think. <laughs> so. It does. It feels, it feels beautiful today. Uh, it's about time. Yeah, it really is. Now, tell me about your experiences of halloumi as a secret. I mean, you were, were you born in Britain and grew up here, or were you, were you born in Cyprus and then, then moved over to Britain? So uh, I and my brother and sister were born in North London, 
uh, as was my mum actually, but both her parents are from were born in Cyprus uh, and moved here in sort of 50, 60 kind of era, settled in sort of Islington, uh, specifically Caledonian Road, because that's where all the Cypriots kind of went to originally. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was the kind of, uh, I would say, the Notting Hill of sort of North London, let's say, of that mm-hmm. time, of that era, if that makes sense yep. to everyone. And yeah, they sort of, um, they set up a life here as dressmakers for Topshop and whatnot. And it's quite, quite random. But yeah, I, I think there's probably lots of people who have got parents and grandparents who did the same thing from, from different countries. Absolutely. And I, I, the reason I was asking about that, I was sort of wondering what your experiences of, of Halloumi were. Um, I mean, Halloumi is interesting, isn't it? Because it's, we've seen a big, there's a big demand for it now in Britain. But obviously it was a cheese that's, you know, that's a very Cypriot cheese. What, 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 did you go over to Cyprus a lot and eat it there? The first time I went was in 98. Uh, ironically, when we were very young, we always went to Greece. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and that's because it was cheaper. It was just too expensive to go to Cyprus uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, but when we went first time, it was, I don't know, there, there was something quite special about it that I felt immediately connected to that I didn't feel with, with Greece, mm-hmm. uh, even as beautiful and amazing as Greece is. Um, yeah, this, this kind of, it felt very familiar, uh, even as a small child. And, you know, eating the food that my mom had kind of cooked me and my yaya, it felt very special. In terms of my memories of halloumi, it was. I remember as a teenager, someone mentioned they'd got hold of someone, they grilled it and fried it. I was like, "Why are you doing that?" Um, ah, that's so it, interesting. Yes, it was. It was. Um, it wasn't something alien to me because obviously we have barbecues all the time. As if people Quite. follow me on on Instagram, <laughs> they'll know that's pretty much all I'm doing at the moment. But back back then, it was very very much. We would eat it with eggs, whether it's boiled eggs or uh, or, or fried eggs for, for breakfast, uh, with with eliers, so olives and uh, tomato, cucumber, very 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 fresh things. You know, mm. it was just it was super super refreshing, and and it had this kind of yeah this very milky, goaty, sheepy kind of freshness to it that you just don't find in what there is over here. Right, um, so you were eating yeah. it as a fresh cheese with all the yeah, but with this lot of flavour from those you know there's a flavourful milks, aren't they? Goat and sheep and and so but so fresh. That was just so interesting because I think most people you know in Britain often think of halloumi as as a cheese to to fry or to grill, just as you were saying. Absolutely, and what I would probably like to make a distinction between is the stuff that we mostly got over in London. We, we, we used to have it imported via Demos, which is uh, a small sort of veggie shop, let's say grocery store on Green Lanes, Pal- Palmer's Greenway. Mm-hmm. And it's where most of the Cypriots would get big packages from Cyprus. The, their, their relatives would send them over. So they were sort of, that was the kind of importers, exporters. It was quite, quite yes. funny for, for, yep. for locals. And uh, yeah, we would get sort of like these little care packages um, and we would sort of send, send things by there. So you don't go to the post office, you go to Dimas basically. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was quite interesting sort of understanding that side of things. But it was always the, the mature version we always had because oh. it, it travelled well. You didn't have to yep. refrigerate it. So that in brine then? Is that was it kept in brine or not? <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. Um, so it was naturally a lot saltier, uh, a lot firmer. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot stronger in flavour 
you know, you, you could sometimes get bluing flavors come through on it. Gosh. Uh, yeah, it was it was quite quite powerful actually. Um, yeah. In, in in a really good way. You know, you know, with with sort of sheep and goat milk when it kind of ages for a while, you get an almost lipase kind of piquancy to it, and and that's yeah. that that's kind of what you experience, and you do get a kind of herbal background coming through from the milk, but also the way in which it was probably processed on the farm as well. But how we ate that. Sometimes if we didn't have time, we would eat it straight from the jar and it was particularly salty. Yeah. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I wouldn't recommend it, but it's more pleasant if you soak it. Right, and to get rid of some of the salt then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you could soak that in milk or, or water uh, and, until it becomes kind of a bit more sort of pliable. And that is the cheese that you would generally use within baking. Ah, interesting. Or, or you would use that on the barbecue that that was the cheese to do that with right fascinating isn't it you know same things food is so complex and a lot of complexity gets you know by the nature of food traveling around or versions of it appearing in different countries um it, it, yeah you lose a lot of understanding or in a way i suppose in a way if you weren't getting the fresh cheese and how would you understand that you could eat it fresh <laughs> so it makes sort of makes sense so did when you set up um Prosteri, were you on a sort of mission to bring um this sort of fresh halloumi that you had known from your from your childhood, from your trips to Cyprus, over to to Britain. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, be honest. Uh, it was it was a mixture of wanting to set up my own business, uh, continue what what my my grandmother and my great grandmother had always been doing in Cyprus. It's not special that they make cheese. Um, mm-hmm. It's it is just what they do, you know. They were geniuses, obviously. <laughs> you know, they, they they all knew how to make everything, so that's what right. they did. And yeah. but but no one really continued it, so it become a bit of, I think, in London, specifically with with the Cypriot community. I think it almost become fetishized in a way that it was like, oh, this is what we used to have. And I'm like, I always used to say, well, why don't we just make it? You know, why don't we just <laughs> continue it? You know, how hard is that? And and apparently it, it wasn't as easy as everyone thought it maybe, but ultimately what what spurred me on was the fact that all the cheese that you could access and buy just it spoiled memories for me, to be honest. With you. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, on this program, you know, I I'm a food writer who sort of loves cheese. Cheese is a very fascinating subject, and I do with the cheese makers. There does seem to be this sort of cheese making bug where where people sort of get gripped by it you know because i think partly because it's not that simple to make good cheese as far as i can see you know there's just an awful lot of work and a lot of elements um in it which sort of keeps it quite interesting that funny thing that something's challenging is actually rewarding because when it goes well that is a thrill if it was really easy to get right that might be a little bit boring did oh, you God. find that were you you know because you'd come from a different background hadn't you were you a, mm-hmm. a graphic designer i think is that right yeah, that's what that's, that's what that's what I was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did uh, information design at university and and worked in sort of Clark and Will Farrington way for a few years. But yeah, it wasn't really giving me what I wanted. It didn't challenge me enough. Actually, that was the key mm. thing. But this, it, you know, even though halloumi classically by other cheesemakers isn't really seen as something that's technically challenging, yet when people make it, they always say it's a pain in the neck. Um, <laughs> so it's it's yeah, it's it's not maybe in terms of maturing it and affinage and all that kind of thing it's not necessarily as complex but i would say if you were to try and do what they do in cyprus and do it on a, a continuous basis and meet all of the regulations and whatnot 
I think that mm. is very I think that is very difficult actually. But that is more that's the less romantic side of things, I think. Isn't it? I I tried Anglum, which is I mean, there, you know, we should, perhaps we should mention here that Halumi has it got is it they're applying for a PDO, is that right? I th- I seem to So they have a UK trademark for the for the name Halumi in the UK. And they've just agreed after many, many, many years of trying, 15 years, I believe, uh, they've achieved a PDO status. But in turn, that means the actual specification of that is going to change um, from sort of 10 to 20% sheep and goat milk, which is the minimum requirement, uh, up to about 50%. But that is on, yeah, it's going to take a few years to kind of get there. Um, So all those kind of, versions you see out there that are kind of burgers and all sorts of shapes and sizes square ones if it doesn't fit the exact spec they can't they won't be calling it so they're probably going to knock out you know at least 30 to 40 percent of their own market this is so interesting i mean we often talk about these um the rules governing cheese and the, the naming of cheese and the complexity of naming and so you called your cheese anglum and i i've tried it and it was and and I was really struck by the texture, actually, Anthony. By the, um, it had a really sort of in a lovely sort of layered texture. It was much more interesting. Like all I'd had, I think when we first spoke, all I'd ever had was sort of mass-produced halloumi. So I had very little mm-hmm. knowledge of it. And and yours was was a revelation because it was a, a really different thing. And I think funny enough, when you were talking about you know simplicity, you know to make a good version of something that seems in inverted commas simple is really difficult often you know in, in many yeah. types of food so tell me a little bit about the the work is, is the, that texture how do you how did how do you achieve that is that by working the curd in a particular way or is it yeah i think i think it's definitely to do with curd handling through start to finish really um and, and it, how you'd make a very very good cheese in in cheese molds and, and the respect you give any other cheese whether it's a brudemer or, or a halloumi, um, it's the same level of respect, ultimately. Um, so if you respect that curd and the turning of it and the gentle nature before and after cooking, um, you, will, you will get to... It's knowing how to just handle it because it becomes very... When it's hot, after mm-hmm. you've, you've, you've heat-treated it, it becomes very, very sort of pliable or malleable. Don't get me wrong, in, from village to village in Cyprus, there are many, many sort of styles, but... For me, this is the one that I grew up with. This is, for me, this is the, the ultimate version. Um, the one that that does have that kind of like curdy, flaky, layered, chicken breasty texture. Tell me about tell me about Andreas and and I think did you go to Andreas to get advice on on the making or or just to get his thoughts on your on your project? He was quite an inspiring figure. He's an amazing man. It, it was in the sense that he was one of the first. Uh, sort of Cypriot grocers in London and he'd been there forever so he'd become a bit of an institution that mm-hmm. um, it, I mean since unfortunately he passed um, I went past his shop uh, a few weeks back actually and and it's like a time capsule it's exactly how it was a few years back uh, they haven't with all the statues out or anything. and extraordinary yeah it was a great yeah. place yeah he was just he just loved the culture and I, I mean I don't know the reasons why he came here or what the exact date was but each village had their own issues let's say around those times so you know not, it wasn't just like everyone came over in sort of 74 um, mm-hmm. it was it was over a period of time where there was there was diff- problems over the island but mm-hmm. he he had sort of spent his whole life 
really just trying to recreate what what he had in Cyprus, but in in North London. And I, I I looked to him as someone that clearly cared about what he sold. So I just I just said to him, "What do you think, really?" And um, we were just sharing notes, really, on on production processes. Some of the stuff that he was saying I didn't agree with. Some of the stuff I was saying he didn't agree with. But overall, he thought it was he, he thought it was beautiful, and and he and he wanted to sell it immediately. But I wasn't in a position to do that because it was just I was just mucking around, really. And you found a real um, receptive audience for it in, among restaurants, wasn't it? That's how with this. And we're obviously discussing pre-pandemic, <laughs> so when you know hmm. when there was a burgeoning restaurant scene, and and I'm. I mean, were you just doing lots of knocking on doors and trying to get chefs to to reconsider their, you know, what they thought of of halloumi or, or your own cheese anglum, which is your own version of halloumi? So in, initially, I, I I was going to just make it out of my kitchen and do some sort of street food, uh, do you know, sort of deep fry it because everyone likes it deep fried. Back then, nobody even really considered it as something. So I, I was I did that at a farmers market just to. Mm-hmm. Just for fun, for fun, really. It was just really, honestly, just to just to try it out for one Sunday. Uh, it was absolute torrential rain, as as usual <laughs> um, in London. Um, but there's still people who came out, and as a result of it, several sort of cafes and restaurants actually came by. I, I mean, they might have had their day off. I don't know, and said, "We'll come by, and um, yeah, we would like to take some." And I was like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> and I didn't even consider it. I genuinely didn't consider it at all. Uh, as, as 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 something I should be doing, and um, yeah, the, the following week I started making it. Um, I also met uh, Holly from Wind and Bryant, uh, who's a, a small cheese shop in uh, Tottenham, and that was the first time I met her when she because she lives in Tottenham and lives very locally, and yeah, um, was yeah very very enthusiastic about the whole thing. Uh, with, to my surprise, so yeah, that the whole thing I think. Just speaking to people about what I was doing, people were feeling as passionate, and that really gave me the energy to move forward. Really, mm. and, and where are you now in terms of, of posterity? And because you've moved, I'm right in thinking you've moved out of your old premises, and you're now looking for somewhere new. Yeah, that's right. So, as we all know, last year was obviously extremely tough for everybody. Uh, I had phenomenal support from all of my customers and, and public, uh, and, and actually, it, it could have been enough to stabilise the business until now, perhaps. But we were having a lot of other problems with our landlord, and as a result, we had to close the site and try and seek new premises. But because of COVID, we weren't able to seek something in time, really. So. We, we just had to put everything in storage and, and, and close the business, really. Um, so it was a bit more complicated than people might assume. Uh, mm. But now um, I, I'm using this time to sort of look back to what my original inspiration was and try and gain energy from that. And originally, I always want to kind of reach for the stars in the sense that I would love to have had my own animals and do everything myself on a farm and it just wasn't possible from day one you know it's mm. that's why I did it out of my kitchen I, I, you know I don't <laughs> didn't have access to these things um but now I, I feel like you know we I've got support out there hopefully hopefully people will still support us and um I'm, I'm putting my energy at the moment into hopefully trying to set up on a farm in, in you know next year all being well well I'm excited at the thought of 
of Anglam re-emerging and and of you you know finding you know I suppose perhaps touching touching back to your original vision and that sort of drive and the energy so thank you so much Anthony for coming on the program it was really lovely to talk to you and and you too and I, I must add that the cheesemaker Martin Gott uh, and myself we we're, we're hoping to start a collaboration very soon uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks all being well uh, to to do what we're hopefully going to be calling St James St James's Anglum actually oh, uh, so, so you heard you heard it here first that is um, really exciting I, well I love I love Martin's cheeses and I think that's a great partnership between the two of you I shall I'll really look forward to that <laughs> all right thank you Anthony take thanks care thanks a lot then. Jenny cheers you too Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It would make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.